and welcome back to another episode of Becoming No One. I'm your host, Big Taj, and today we're going to start our series on the secret doctrine. Now, the secret doctrine was written by Helena P. Blavatsky and released as two volumes in 1888. Um, For the remainder of the season, we'll continue to dive into some ancient teachings. Um, So I was going to continue diving into Hermeticism, but my gods told me to do the secret doctrine. Like I literally was kind of at a standstill of where I should go next after the Kabbalion. That's why we had that episode of, you know, the laws of cosmic awareness, because I was in this interim place trying to figure out what to do next. I asked my spirit guides, y'all went to sleep. I woke up and the first thing that I heard was the secret doctrine. So I'm actually really excited about this. It took a lot of research to put these episodes together because it's kind of hard to understand, but I'm super, super excited for us to start taking a look at this. Cause once I actually did get into it and I started researching some of this stuff, like it's brilliant. And I don't know y'all something about this being written by a woman during times that women were not respected just sends me over the moon. Okay. So, um, if you're not familiar with the secret doctrines, basically it's a two volume book that synthesizes ancient teachings, religion, and philosophy. And Helena went through so much in order for us to get this information. Okay. Smear campaigns being ran against her. Like she had health issues that stemmed from that. And it wasn't until about 95 years after she died that people started actually looking at her information and accepting it. So um, let's talk about her journey a little bit before we get into the teachings. So the author of The Secret Doctrine is Helena Blatvatsky, and she was born in Ukraine and spent more than 20 years of her life traveling around the world, uncovering mystic traditions. She started in New York in about like 1873, where she was met with a lot of pushback and resentment by spiritualists. But in spite of that hate, she started a philosophical religious society two years later called the Theosophical Society. Now, she eventually had to leave New York in about 1878 for India with one of her co-founders. And when she was in India, she founded and published a magazine called The Theosophist. And in about 1884, she moved to Europe and um, her employees from this Theosophical Society basically ran a smear campaign against her that worked. Okay. So they went to the missionaries and forged some documents to accuse her of fraud and an investigator by the name of Richard Hodginson investigated the charges and basically confirmed the fraud by delivering an unfavorable report against Helena. So, um, despite all of this, she started like struggling with her mental health and she started struggling with her health in general. So in about 1986, there was a specialist from the same place where Richard Hodgson was from, who came in and specialized in forgery. Um, And what they did is they revisited this report and determined that not only was it biased, but it wasn't even based on science. Okay. And unfortunately, this was 95 years after Helena died. So As you can imagine, this took a toll on her health because she was trying to fight for a space where the truth could exist and her own people were turning on her. Now, she ended up staying in London, specifically or settling in London, where she wrote several books between 1885 and 1891. But in 1888, The Secret Doctrine was actually published. And in that same year, she established a branch of her society that was dedicated specifically to esoteric teachings. Now, her background is important for many reasons. Firstly, again, like I said, occultists have had to fight for the truth against non-believers from the beginning of time. And it probably, again, didn't help that she was a woman doing this in a time when women were not respected. So people are so terrified of what the truth means because subconsciously we all 
all know that when you know better, you have to do better. And this is a really, really good example of people being willing to go as far as fabricating documents and making up lies just because they're too afraid of change. Okay. Now the secret doctrine actually discusses many, um, ancient documents and teachings, ancient books as well. Volume one is about cosmogenesis or the origins of the universe. And then the second volume is about anthropogenesis. Okay. Now she claims to have gotten this information from a group of people called the Mahatmas who were responsible for retaining mankind's spiritual history. Um, it's supposed to combine these ancient teachings with modern science as well. Okay. Now, the intro to this book is basically her discussing what was going on at the time where she was writing this book and certain other people who were putting out information that's similar to hers that had basically gotten it wrong. But it starts out with this quote that I wanted to go over. And this quote says that errors run down an inclined plane while the truth has to laboriously climb its way up a hill. Okay. So this just means that the truth has to be worked for and constantly stood on while lies and comfortability spread like wildfire. So for people who have chosen the truth, this is not an easy journey whatsoever. And there will be many obstacles and pitfalls along the way, but we have to keep pushing forward and pushing up because we deserve to be able to make conscious decisions. Okay. And when you're lied to constantly, that's what they're taking away from you, which is your choice. All right. So I need y'all who are listening to this to understand that you have to always fight for the light so that we can see what they are trying to hide amongst the darkness. Okay. And through truth, you gain true freedom through lies. You are bound by the agendas and the manipulations of what's being hidden from you to control you. Okay. Helena's life should be a testament to us all to keep going. Even when the world is against you. Okay. Have courage to continue doing the work, no matter what is being done to you. Okay. What, whatever they're trying to do to keep you down, don't pay attention to that because the truth eventually comes to light. And we're seeing that now as we enter into this age of Aquarius. Okay. Now, before we get started, I just want to say, please do your own research on this book. Okay. Now this book can be found on scrib.com, which is the S C R I B D.com or forgottenbooks.org. Okay. The reason I say do your own research is because although I will try my best to break this down into a form that we all can understand, this book reminded me that everyone critically thinks about information based on their level of consciousness. And there are always going to be biases because we live in this plane of duality where there is a lot that we don't fully understand. Okay. And we can only perceive things from our perspective. So I can give you my interpretation, but we need to take the advice from Diamond from Players Club and don't trust nobody work but your own, okay? I try my best, but the way that I conceptualize information might not be the way that you are conceptualizing information. So it's always good just to have your own back, okay? Do your due diligence by everything that you learn. We're going to talk about a lot in these next couple episodes because we'll probably be talking about the secret doctrine until the end of the season. So um, we're going to cover a lot. We're even going to cover some excerpts, but again, do yourself a favor and look at this information yourself as well. Okay. So the first thing that we're going to discuss are the three fundamental propositions that the secret doctrine affirm. Okay. So there's three things that we're going to get from this first volume of on cosmogenesis, which is just basically what we talked about when we talked about how the universe was created. This goes into so much more detail y'all though. So that's why we're doing this part first. Okay. So we'll start with principle a, and it says an omnipresent, eternal, boundless, and immutable principle 
on which all speculation is impossible since it transcends the power of human conception and could only be dwarfed by any human expression or similitude. It is beyond the range of reach of thought in the word of Madukia, unthinkable and unspeakable. Now, when I first read this, I was like, immediately, no, I'm not gonna lie. I put this book down multiple times because I was like, what the hell are you talking about? But the author actually did a really great job of explaining this, okay? So I'm gonna explain what this is basically saying, okay? So what it's saying is there's one absolute reality which antecedes all manifested conditioned being, okay? The infinite and the eternal cause, which is unconscious and unknowable is the rootless root of all that is or was or ever shall be, okay? They're talking about this God consciousness which causes everything to start, okay? It is devoid of all attributes and is essentially without any relation to manifested finite being. It is beingness rather than being and is beyond all thought and speculation, okay? This is again talking about the all. So that means we can't even begin to comprehend with our finite minds the infinite and eternal cause of what was, is, or always will be, meaning the all, um, or what we consider to be God consciousness. So everything that we have read is speculation and comes from our conditioning because bias is always going to be present when we're talking about finite minds, okay? This takes me back to what I always say. We cannot see past our own level of consciousness and we are at the lowest level of consciousness, okay? Let that sink in. The human race is at the lowest level of consciousness. So anything we have been told about God or, you know, God's consciousness is just a projection from our own level of consciousness. That is why God is presumed to be man and carries the same characteristics of men like ego, vengefulness, right? In the Bible, because people with a low level of consciousness way before where we are right now in this point of period with consciousness came across ancient teachings and applied their own understanding to it using all they knew, which is the reality that they lived in at that time. Okay. So they pulled from the, their experiences and pushed it onto a group of people as the gospel. Now I'm not saying this to upset anyone again. This is literally what the book says along with other ancient teachings. Okay. God is supposed to be unknowable and unconscious. Okay. So there's no way for us to know how God would react in a situation. All right. So the next logical question is what is Venus then? So Venus has two aspects according to the secret doctrine. The first is called the absolute abstract space, which represents what we cannot see or conceive, and the absolute abstract motion, which is considered to be unconditioned consciousness. Now, consciousness is inconceivable to us apart from change, and motion best symbolizes change, okay? So remember in the last couple of episodes, we talked about how every single person has its own vibration, right? And when they're measuring, if something is alive, they're measuring that vibration. So that means that we're all outputting this frequency. Okay. We're all constantly changing. So this is what that is saying. Okay. There is this part that we don't know about that's unconceivable to us, but there's also this motion that is happening, which is unconditioned consciousness. Okay. Now the first fundamental axiom of the secret doctrine is the one absolute Venus, which is what we recognize as the theological Trinity. Okay. So the one reality or the absolute also known as the all or God is a field of absolute consciousness or conscious existence is just a symbol of this essence, which we cannot perceive because of our conditioned experience, right? But once the thought passes to us, duality interferes in the contrast of spirit and matter, subject and object. 
But remember, spirit and matter are two of the same thing, two aspects of the absolute. And these aspects constitute the basis of conditioned being, whether subjective, which just means it exists in the mind of an individual or based off of personal biases influencing it, or objective, not influenced by personal viewpoints or biases, okay? So this basically means that what people call the great breath of life happens before cosmic ideation. And the great breath is considered to be divine thought. Again, this is confirmation of the universe being mental and everything starting as a thought, okay? So this cosmic ideation is known as the source of consciousness and intelligence in humans. The breath of life is the insertion of consciousness or our spirit into our body so we can think, we can feel, we can act, okay? Now, how all things are created in this material plane is through something called Mahat or universal ideation that basically is sending this homogeneous radiation, right? This, this, this radiation that is coming from the one or the all into this heterogeneous world where we are experiencing separation. So we're all individuals who have our own individual consciousness. Okay. So it's coming from this place of, of oneness and it's breaking into different parts. All right. And this reaches the personal minds of humans through the astral light, which is just the life force that fills all space and living beings. Okay. Now that part comes from a theosophy wiki. Okay. So there's always a a breath in and a breath out. The breath in is the thought and the breath out is the absence of thought. So the way I understand it is that the universe thinks a thought and then projects consciousness in the direction of the thought to explore the outcomes. Once all variables are explored, it breathes out or collapses within itself. So we talked about this when we talked about those seven densities of consciousness. So this is literally the law of rhythm in action and proof that nothing within the all can escape the law but it also is proof of what we talked about again with those those levels of consciousness um, episode that we talked about last season once you travel through the levels of consciousness everything collapses back into the all back into itself okay so we used a black hole as the example when we were talking about this because a black hole is just a collapsed star once it has explored its variables it collapses in on itself which creates a massive explosion which is called like a supernova so this is just one example of this law of rhythm working but also us Tran, uh, transcending through the levels of consciousness and then going back to the all because again becoming no one is about going back to the all because eventually we will all become one back with that main consciousness so there are two things that need to take place in order for this breathing in process to work right so i'm going to try to reiterate a couple things that i pointed out before okay so all manifestations start from something called pre-cosmic ideation. And that's basically when there is this nothingness, right? That is going on. And then a breath in happens. The breathing in is divine thought from the universal mind, which is the cause of all individual consciousness. Okay. But there's also something called pre-cosmic substance. And this is the foundation of matter in its varying degrees. And this pre-cosmic substance is the foundation which all the objective planes of nature exist upon. Okay. So if we do not have the cosmic substance, then the cosmic ideation could not manifest as individual consciousness because it needs a vehicle or a medium of matter for this consciousness to exist in while navigating the 
manifested universe, okay? Now, this vehicle is usually called the I am, which is just the physical component of us or the body necessary to focus a ray of light or that radiation to from the universal mind at a certain stage of complexity, okay? So this manifested universe that we live in in present day because of duality, which is the essence of manifestation or existence, occultists refer to this manifested universe or the cause of the creation as the this. And although these are two separate aspects, like spirit and matter are two separate aspects that make up the all or the one, what links spirit to matter is called the that or what occultists call faux hot. All right. Now this may be confusing y'all just bear with me. I promise y'all I'm going to bring this full circle. Okay. So just a quick side note, our spirit is the cosmic ideation. Okay. That's the consciousness because it is where all of our consciousness comes from while we're in the body, the body dies, the spirit does not die. Okay. The consciousness does not die. Okay. So again, from the spirit comes consciousness. From the cosmic substance comes the individual various vehicles that house our consciousness in this life and in the next, which reflects our consciousness that is our body. And the fohat is the link between mind, which is our spirit, our consciousness, cosmic ideation, and matter, body, and cosmic substance. So the animating principle that electrifies every atom into life is called our soul. So what exists in the all is mind, body, and soul. Now I want to stop for a second and discuss this because when I say my mind was fucking blown, my mind was blown when I was reading this because that means that this all that we talk about, the part of it that has the absolute motion has a mind, body, and soul. So that takes us being made in God's image, right? The all God consciousness, whatever, to a whole nother level. And that also means that when we're using spirit and we're using soul interchangeably, we are incorrect with that because spirit is your mind, whereas your soul is the connective electricity that connects your body to your spirit, to your consciousness. Okay. So it makes sense. When you're raising your vibration, you know, I say you raise your vibration by eating whole foods. You eat raw fruits and vegetables because they're still alive and they still hold electricity. You're making yourself more electric, right? So that you can be in touch with your consciousness. But if you're at a very low vibration, you are not in touch with your consciousness, with your mind. And that is why you don't, you're lost in life. You don't know what your soul's purpose is and et cetera, because you're not in contact with your mind. It also takes night terrors too, to a whole nother level because we discussed night terrors in the first season and when you have a night terror it is in a direct indication that you don't have enough energy or electricity in your astral body or your physical body and that those two things are trying to separate but there's not enough soul in your body in order for that to happen okay so I don't know. Y'all leave me some comments, please, please, please leave me some comments because I want to know if this blew y'all mind like it blew my mind. And I also want to just know if y'all have any feedback about this, if y'all even understand what I'm saying, if y'all picking up what I'm putting down, because I read this and I was blown out of the fucking water. I was just like, oh my gosh, what that's what it means when they say we made in God's image. God has mind, body, and soul. We have mind, body, and soul too. It's like everything is connected. So again, too, the principle of correspondence as above so below i mean jesus this was a word 
All right, now that I'm done rambling, this is what we need to understand before we move on to this second fundamental proposition, okay? The first you need to understand is that the absolute or the all God consciousness, whatever you want to call it, is both being and non-being, okay? The second is that the first manifestation considered to be the unmanifested logos in philosophy is the first cause of creation, okay? That first manifestation, that first thought is the cause of creation, all right? Three, spirit and matter, life, or the soul of the universe is the second logos, which we talked about when we talked about um, your higher self episode last season. And then the fourth, cosmic ideation, the Mahat or intelligence is the basis of intelligent operations and, and of nature. Okay. So consciousness, and then the one, the all or God has dual aspects in the conditioned universe. Now that last part is just telling you that duality only exists in a conditioned universe, meaning that when a variable is being explored, it does not exist in the all. Okay. So let's jump to the second fundamental, uh, thing that you want to take away from this. Now, remember when I read it, it's not going to make sense, but I am going to explain it. All right. So this is what it says. It says the eternity of the universe in Toto as a boundless plane, periodically the playground of the numberless universe incessantly manifesting and disappearing called the manifesting stars and the spark of eternity. The eternity of pilgrim is like a wink of the eye of self-existence. This comes from the book of Dizon or the secret book of Dizon. The appearance and disappearance of worlds is like a regular tidal ebb of flux and reflux. Okay. So the second one just is affirming the existence of the universal principle of rhythm, okay, that we discussed in these previous episodes, also called the law of periodicity. Everything has its ebbs, its flows, its flux and reflux, which has been confirmed by science through day and night cycles, life cycles, life and death cycles, sleep and wakefulness cycles, right? I'm not going to elaborate on this second one because we explored it in great depth when we were talking about the hermetic principles. But here is another ancient teaching that is telling us that the law of rhythm exists. So let's jump into the third thing that the secret doctrine um, affirms, but again, just keep in mind, this is going to read really harsh, but I'm going to explain it right after. Okay. So it says the fundamental identity of all souls with the universal oversoul, the latter being itself an aspect of the unknown root and the obligatory pilgrimage for every soul, a spark of the former through the cycle of incarnation or necessity in accordance with cyclic and karmic law during the whole term. In other words, no purely spiritual Buddha, Buddha just means divine soul, can have an independent conscious experience before the spark which issued from the pure essence of the universal sixth principle or the oversoul has a passed through every elemental form of the phenomenal world of that Manventara, also known as the great breath. And B, acquired individuality first by natural impulse and then by self-induced and self-devised efforts, checked by its karma, thus ascending through all the degrees of intelligence from the lowest to the highest mana, from mineral and plant up to the holiest archangel. The pivotal doctrine of the esoteric philosophy admits no privilege or special gifts in man, save those won by his ego through personal efforts and merit throughout a long series of metal psychosis and reincarnations. This is why the Hindus say that the universe is Brahma. Um, Brahma is just absolute wisdom, mind, spirit, consciousness, and Brahma, which is the vehicle which holds the wisdom or body for 
Brahma, the consciousness, is in every atom of the universe and the sixth principle in nature being all the outcomes, the variously differentiated aspects of the seventh and one. The only reality in the universe, whether cosmical or microcosmical, and also why the permutation of either psychic, spiritual, and physical on the plane of manifestation and form of the six, Brahma, which is the vehicle that holds the consciousness, are viewed by metaphysical anti uh, phrases as elusive for although the root of every atom individually and of every form collectively is the seventh principle or one reality still in its manifested phenomenal and temporal appearance it is no better than an everescent illusion of our senses okay so let me explain that because that's that was a mouthful and it was really really hard to understand now i hope y'all see why i was stressed out and i was like basically talking to my spirit guys, like, why would y'all make me sh uh, share this with them? Because I'm having a hard time understanding it. It's, it was really complex for me to break this stuff down, y'all. So I persevered for y'all, but I put this book down at least three times before I was just like, okay, you need to dedicate yourself and try to figure this out, okay? So basically what it's saying is the one principle under its two aspects is sexless or androgynous, okay? The one or the all is sexless androgynous. It's also unconditioned, meaning it's, it's unbiased and non-judgmental and it's eternal, it's infinite, okay? And the primal radiation is also uh, one and it's also androgynous and it's also phenomenally finite. Okay. So that just means that all of the radiations that are directed towards our bodies that start out, they start out sexless, but eventually will become man or woman in the lower realms or aspects. Okay. But it's also saying that nothing can exist without getting its divine spark from this cosmic essence and that Everything has to go through evolutionary periods of consciousness, if that makes sense. So before we could be incarnated into this third density, right, where we have a human incarnation, we have to first be animals. We had to first be plants. We had to come from, go through the mineral, mineral evolutionary cycle and then the plant evolutionary cycle and the animal evolutionary cycle in order for us to get to this level that we are at now. Before we move on to the next part, I just want to reiterate what we just talked about, okay? These three things that the secret doctrine affirm. Basically, we need to understand that the all, the one, God consciousness, whatever you want to call it, is being and non-being. But the being portion of the one, the all, the God consciousness, it needs a mind, body, and soul before it is able to create anything. Before I said it has a mind, body, and soul, but it needs it in order to create. Now, the mind is called spirit, it's called consciousness, but also cosmic ideation, right? It's the thought that starts to create things. And then the cosmic substance, right, is the body of the spirit and which is where the consciousness is going to be implanted into, right? And then the soul is the electricity that is in everything, okay? You can think of the soul as almost like the aether around, right? So we are made in God's image. It's just basically us being made just like that. We are also mind, body, and soul, okay? And in order for us to be created, there has to be a divine thought that happens first. And then there is a consciousness that is projected towards whatever variable the thought needs to explore. And then that consciousness that's directed towards is connected with a vehicle or a body, 
right? The cosmic substance is connected with a vehicle or a body by soul, which is just electricity. Okay. So next we're going to start to talk about the seven stanzas and these come directly from the secret book of Dizon. That's D-Y-Z-A-N. And these are referred to by the Bible as the days of creation. Okay. The stanzas actually depict the seven stages of the evolutionary process. And this applies to everything existing from atoms to galaxies. Okay. So um, what's really interesting about this is that this is where the seven days of creation comes from in the Bible, right? Because the Bible is just a compilation of ancient teachings, right? So this is going to be able to give us clarity to unpack what we have learned, because again, everything that we have learned about religion, right? About philosophy um, is an interpretation from somebody's low level of consciousness. Okay. So this is where the material for where it came from. So we'll be able to explore this in deep detail next week. Now I'm going to give you a description of each stanza and what it'll tell us, but it's not going to be until next week until we dive deep into these. Now, the reason why I'm doing it the way that I'm doing it is because the stanzas have multiple parts to them. And I don't want to start and leave y'all on a cliffhanger and you'll be like, well, Taja, how do you explain the first stanza? And I'll, you only gave me one piece. I don't want it to be like that. Okay. So I'm going to give you the description of them, but this is what this podcast is about y'all. When I started reading this book, I was like, I understand why my spirit guides told me to do this book, even though it's very complex. Y'all I'm telling you, I was over here stressed the hell out fighting for my life, trying to interpret this, but I'm glad that I did. And I pushed myself because there is so much to unpack and, and the it's, encompasses a lot of information that has been taught to us through religion and philosophy um, and where it actually stems from and where it comes from. And it actually provides us with what it, the actual book that it came from says in order for us to digest it and try to understand it from our own levels of consciousness, especially since, you know, that was written so freaking long ago that now we have more access to information. So now we're at a higher level of consciousness to understand this um, from a different perspective. So I'm actually really, really excited about you know what I'm teaching over these next couple of lessons. And I'm really excited about jumping into this. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and give us a description of what the seven stanzas will tell us. And then next week we'll jump in and um, start to break this down. Okay. So the first stanza is going to describe to us the state of the all during the praleia, which it just means like the state of non-existence. The second stanza to us, this is going to look like stanza one, but the book says for us to just use our intuition because we're not capable of perceiving the difference between stanza one and stanza two. Okay. But it still breaks it down and we're going to read it and we're going to try to interpret it the best that we can. Okay. And I'll give y'all my interpretation as well. The third stanza um, this is actually called the reawakening stage of the manifested universe to life. So it is when the monads emerge from their state of oneness with the source. And this is where the divine spark happens. Okay. So the word monad can be used to describe a tiny atom, or it could be used to describe like a whole system. All right. Um, I don't know if you know, if you read that book that I told you about ascending consciousness, um, or the ascension manual or whatever. And it tells you basically how to ascend to the highest level of consciousness that you can in this realm. Um, but they talk about monads and, um, a lot of us come from this same monad, but it's like the monad is like the thing that you get your spark from. So you know how you have twin flames and y'all all get your spark at the same time. That's what the monad, we all come from this specific monad that has one variable that's being explored, but through different aspects, if that makes sense. Okay. 
Now the fourth stanza, this shows the differentiation of the germ of the universe into the seven levels of consciousness, hierarchy of divine powers, who are the active manifestations of the one supreme energy. So these are the framers, the shapers, and ultimately the creators of all manifested universe. They guide in a form and um, they're intelligent beings who adjust and control evolution, embodying in themselves those manifestations of the one law or the laws of nature. So these things still follow the laws, the hermetic principles or the laws of nature that we talked about before. Um, and they are also known as the dia. Kohoan, and that's D-H-Y-A-N-C-H-O-H-A-Ns. Um, Hindus call this stage the creation of gods. Now, the fifth stanza, this describes the process of world formation. It says first diffuse cosmic matter, then the fiery whirlwind, the first stage in the formation of the nebula. And nebula is a substance that contains ionized uh, neutral and molecular hydrogen. This is said to be the area where star formation happens. So you this is important because we are basically stars in a body. Okay. That's why I say star seeds. So the nebula condenses and after passing through various transformations forms a solar universe, a planetary chain or a single planet. Okay. Now the sixth stanza is the succeeding stages in the formation of the world. Um, they're found in this sixth stanza, which brings evolution of the world down to its fourth great period, which is where we are present day. And then the seventh stanza continues the history, tracing the descendant of life down to appearance of men. Now, next week, again, we're going to get more into detail of these seven stanzas, which are the considered to be the days of creation, right? But basically, they're supposed to indicate what the evolutionary process is of literally everything that we see we touch, we look at in this physical realm. Okay. Now, as far as resources for this episode, um, I use the sec the secret doctrine volume one by Helena Blatvatsky. Um, I also use Theosophy wiki, and I also use the secret book of Dizon again, because that's where these stanzas come from. Now, um, I'm really, really excited about our next episode It's so much information already. I've already started writing it. So, um, I can't wait for us to start talking about these stanzas again, cause it's a lot to unpack. And I think that it just helps to know where stuff comes from. So you can look at shit with your own eyes and, you know, without the influence and the bias of other people, um, especially people from a different time. So I'm really excited about what this means for us. And I'm really excited that I was guided towards this work. So I'm excited for next week. I can't wait to hear y'all feedback on this episode because I know it was a lot of information and a lot of it was like, what the hell is she even talking about? So I'm excited for the feedback and for us to discuss this. And I love y'all deep. I'll see y'all next week.